Well, good morning, everyone. This is, uh, this is great to be here with you at the 10.30 service. Normally, I am not here at 10.30. I'm normally in other churches, so it's a real joy to be uh, with the main body of my church family this morning. So many people I don't see very often. Oh, thank you very much. That's very nice. <laughs> it's kind of like good to be back. I just so, yeah, may I add my welcome to you if you don't know me, if it's maybe the first time you've been here, especially welcome. I say hello to, I don't know where the camera is. Is it up there somewhere? Hello uh, to anyone watching online, um, including my daughter in Cornwall. Morning, love, how are you? <laughs> hope you? I hope you are watching now. <laughs> So it's a joy to be with you as we continue to work through the book of Luke together. Um, do any of you like people watching? I do. I love it. You know, one of, my, one of my favorite things, it's not that high on my agenda, but I do like to sit in a cafe with a cup of coffee and just watch people go by. But, you know, I realize that every time we watch someone or just observe someone, we actually make a judgment not necessarily a bad one. You know, I, I could see a, a, a man in a suit, and I could think, oh, he's, he looks like a successful businessman. I could see a, a young mum with a baby, I thought, oh, look, living the dream, that's lovely. Or a, a couple, if the baby's not screaming, or a couple walking along, holding hands, you think, oh, look, isn't that lovely? So we make these judgments when we look at people. It's something we do as human beings. And we're going to be looking at two passages today, uh, carrying on in Luke chapter 5, going through verses 12 to 26. There are two different passages, two different events, but they merge together. And uh, you'll see um, they blend well together as we unpack them. So let me read um, the first passage. If you've got your Bibles, please do turn to the um, relevant passage. Luke 5, starting in verse 12. In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly, the leprosy left him. It disappeared. And then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. So we'll stop there. We have this, we have this poor man in the advanced stages of leprosy. He would have been cast out from society. He wouldn't have been able to be living with his family. He wouldn't have been able to do a job of work. He would have been shunned by everyone who came close to him. Nobody wanted him near them, and neither could he get to the temple. So in his understanding, he had also been cut off from God. 
so afraid of the disease were the people of that time that anyone who had it was a complete outcast, isolated from everything that would make you feel like a human being. To be a leper was the most desperate and devastating condition. There was no hope of reprieve. It was a living death. And then he hears that Jesus is in town. <clears throat> Jesus, who had healed the sick and cast out demons. Now, knowing that he wasn't allowed anywhere near anybody, this leper must have taken what was left of his life and taken it in his hands and fought his way through the crowd. It doesn't say so in this passage, but you could imagine as he did that, that there would be people shouting at him, get away, keep away from me, don't come near me, we don't want you here. They would have been recoiling at his presence. It says he was in the advanced stages of leprosy, so it's quite likely that he was horribly disfigured. The humiliation for him must have been overwhelming. But in his desperation, he fought his way to Jesus. The crowds looking at him would have identified him as someone who had been judged by God because he had leprosy. He was an obvious sinner in their thinking. And this man falls at the feet of Jesus and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me. You can make me clean. Healed so that I can come back into society and clean so that I am no longer denied access to the temple and to God. We know from reading other parts of scripture that anyone who had been ill had to go to the priests to be deemed well again. It was the priests who had the control over when and where you could be integrated back into society. But leprosy had no cure. And then Jesus, he does the unthinkable. He reaches out and touches him. You don't touch a leper. But Jesus reached out and touched him. Jesus saw what was wrong with this man on the outside. He was untouchable, unlovable, scarred, disfigured, but Jesus looks past all that and he sees a man created in the image of God, separated from God because he was deemed unclean. And the leper believed he was unacceptable. He knew he was despised, he'd be rejected, he wouldn't be welcome in the temple, he'd been condemned by the priests. But Jesus reached out and touched him. I wonder how many people in our community feel like they would not be welcomed in a church. They think they'd be rejected. They, they would feel like they would be unacceptable. They're not clean enough, not good enough, not holy enough. People would look at them, they would think, and see them as someone who is an unclean person, obviously sinful. But this man, he must have had some inner conviction that he needed to get to Jesus. 
and somehow had enough strength and courage to, to gather himself up and push his way through the crowd, maybe even through the priests, to get to Jesus. And Jesus healed him and made him clean. It was a physical miracle. The leprosy left him. But it was so much more than that. You see, it was a spiritual miracle also because now he could become part of God's family again. And in his understanding, have access to God because of what Jesus had done. That's kind of like pointing to something, isn't it? And then we have this somewhat strange verse where Jesus tells him not to tell anyone, but to go and present himself to the priests. Now, clearly, he was going to turn up at the temple with a clean, healed body. People could see that. Now, the priests possibly knew him. It could have even been the same priests that had deemed him unclean months or years before. And now they would see a miraculously healed body. Yeah, they'd be the ones who had the authority to say, now you can come back into the temple, back into society. But more than that, to any discerning priest, this was a sign that the Messiah had come. And therefore, Jesus was the Messiah. Because only God could cure leprosy. Healing of leprosy was a physical sign that pointed to an even greater miracle that Jesus was going to accomplish for us. The miracle of being made clean, being put right with God through his death on the cross. It was a sign that pointed to him being the Messiah. Okay, let's move on to the second passage, starting at verse uh, 17. <clears throat> One day, <clears throat> excuse me, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seems that these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly upon Jesus. Some men came <clears throat> carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, 
the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. So we have these four friends who know this unfortunate soul, this paralyzed man. They'd obviously heard about Jesus, and they have faith and high expectation that Jesus can heal their friend. So much so that they are determined to get him to Jesus by whatever means. Now, there's a lot we don't know about this event. Did the paralyzed man have faith or just the friends that brought him? We don't know. Did the paralyzed man want to come to Jesus or did his friends just tell him, that's where we're taking you? We don't know that either. But what we do know is that when he was lowered in front of Jesus, it was life-transforming. It was pretty obvious that these men had gone to a lot of effort to get this friend to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus, it says, saw their faith. One of the things this passage shows us, and, and I was encouraged and actually quite excited by this, is that Jesus sees their faith. And I think that's important because I think God honors us when we bring people to him. And that should be an encouragement to us. Now, I paused here and I asked myself several questions. There's nothing like preparing a sermon to make you ask yourself questions, I can tell you. How much effort do I put in to bring people to Jesus? You see, the four friends, they, they could have started to bring the man to the house and, and then seen the crowds and immediately thought, oh, this, is, this isn't going to work. This is hopeless. There's way too many obstacles in our way. And they could have given up. They could have thought, we're never going to get him to Jesus. Am I prepared to go to great lengths to get someone to Jesus? And what do I expect of Jesus. How high is my own expectation that Jesus really will meet with someone and transform their life if I bring them to him? We might not know anyone who's physically paralyzed, but we all know countless people who are spiritually or emotionally paralyzed. Once we were, and somebody carried us to Jesus. And I will literally be eternally grateful for the people that carried me to Jesus. Not only in prayer, but brought me into a friendship circle, invited me to things at church, shared Jesus with me, demonstrated the Jesus life in front of me. They pointed me to Jesus. This series that we're going through is encouraging us to become more like Jesus. And I realize as I read this passage that I have got a long way to go. You see, I thought to myself, if I, if I brought that man to Jesus, I might have expected the encounter to go a bit different than the way it did. If a man came to me who was paralyzed, I would see a paralyzed man. I would be confronted with the presenting problem and everything in me would just want to make it better. 
I would have taken away the paralysis and healed the man. And I think I would have expected Jesus to do that as well. Because, you see, I'd made the judgment call. I people-watched. I'd seen a paralyzed man and assumed that what needed to happen was that the paralysis would go. But in this passage, the presenting problem doesn't seem to be what Jesus sees first. Here is this man, paralyzed, helpless, at the mercy of his friends. And the first thing Jesus says is, son, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw the leper, there was no mention of sin. Jesus reveals his authority here as so complete that he can even forgive sins. We've already seen his authority in teaching. We've seen his authority over demons. We've seen him, um, his authority over sickness when he healed Simon's mother-in-law. We've just seen him heal a man in the advanced stages of leprosy, but we haven't seen this before, the authority to forgive sin. And Jesus is making a claim about himself, which is totally unique. Everybody in that room knows that only God can forgive sins. And yet here is this Jesus, this teacher, essentially claiming that he has the authority of God himself. Now, if that were not true, that really would have been blasphemy. When Jesus looked at the leper, he saw a man made in the image of God. He saw through the leprosy and the disfigurement into the heart of someone very precious whom he loved. When Jesus looks at the paralyzed man, he sees through the paralysis to the heart of the man who was born dead in his sin. And we need to somehow hold those two things in tension. Sometimes we can just focus on the sin in our lives that needs to be dealt with, and that will always be the case. But we can sometimes go the opposite way and just focus on all the love that God has for us because he made us and created us in his own image, and that too will always be the case. The tension is to hold those two things the love that God has for every individual alongside the problem of dealing with sin in every individual. And Jesus fulfills both. He is all-compassionate, <clears throat> the all-loving one, but he is also the sacrificial lamb who was willing to die to deal with the problem of sin in my heart and in your heart and in everybody's heart, Jesus comes with grace and truth. Not just grace and not just truth, but grace and truth. He sees past the scars and the disfigurement of disease. He sees past the, the paralysis of spirit, if you like, and he offers both love and forgiveness because we need both. I wonder what the paralyzed man's reaction was when Jesus turned to him and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
Maybe it was overwhelming relief. Or maybe he was confused. Maybe he thought it was blasphemous. Or maybe it was one of indignation. I wanted you to heal my legs, not point out to everybody that I needed forgiveness. We don't know what his reaction was. And you see, we come to this event with the benefit of 2,000 years experience of Jesus' resurrected life. But here, as this event was playing out, was just a teacher who had shown he could do miracles. Jesus, gentle, kind, compassionate, and he does heal the sick. But it's not just about physical healing. This man needs his sins to be forgiven. And that's what Jesus can do for him. Jesus goes on to physically restore the man in response to the Pharisees' indignation and accusations of blasphemy. So through this miraculous healing, God vindicates Jesus' authority to forgive sins. There's a, a myriad of opinion out there when it comes to the relationship between sin and sickness. If we go back to the very, very beginning, when God created the world and human beings, there was no sin and there was no sickness. It was only when man decided that he could actually go his own way and disobey God and do what he wanted that sickness and death entered the picture. So in that sense, all sickness is as a direct um, consequence of sin. But we've come so far now from that very beginning that it's very dangerous to make it quite so black and white. We only have to look around us to see that there are, there are people, we probably know some, who are blatantly and flagrantly disobeying all of God's ways and living a very long and healthy life. And likewise, we know people who have lived all their lives loving, serving God with all their strength and humility, and they physically suffer. And we don't understand that, and we struggle with that, if we're honest. But whatever opinions there are, this one thing is true. We do not all need physical healing. Praise the Lord for that. But we do all need forgiveness. And why is forgiveness so important? I think firstly, because it matters to God. It matters to God because God is holy and we are not, and we cannot come into the presence of a holy God, but God wants us in his presence. But he's also a God of justice, and so sin has to be dealt with. It can't just be ignored. And secondly, it's important because we can't undo the past. How many of us could stand here and say, I have never done anything that I am ashamed of? I know I couldn't. But whatever we've done, we've done. We can't turn the clock back. To people that we have wronged, we, we can try and make amends, we can apologize, we can seek reconciliation, and, and that's right and good, but even that leaves unfinished business. Because if we read this in Psalm 51, when David has really badly sinned, he says to God, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, 
God, against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. When we sin against others, we sin against God. We sin against God, but Jesus has the authority to forgive us. He has that authority because he was the one who gave his pure, spotless blood as an offering for all time to enable us to be forgiven. That includes you and me. Sin against God is a serious matter. It's not something that can be swept under the carpet and ignored. It has to be dealt with. And throughout the history of God's people, the way that sin was dealt with was through the shedding of blood. Initially, a sacrificial lamb or a goat, but when anyone came to God for forgiveness, an animal was slaughtered, and the shed blood of that animal atoned for the sin. Hebrews 9.22 tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So the people who were sat listening to Jesus in that overcrowded room in Capernaum would have understood two things. Firstly, it was only God who could forgive sin. And secondly, that only by the shedding of blood would their sins be forgiven. So you can see that the shock and the, the outrage and the horror that Jesus, this man, has the audacity to say, son, your sins are forgiven. No one could do that except God. And where's the shed blood? Where's the sacrifice? Where's the atonement? Jesus is the one with the authority to forgive because he himself was not only God incarnate, but also because he became the shed blood, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As I've read this passage through and through, I've realized that Jesus will always see the heart of a person and know the real need of the person. We can only people watch. We can only see the outside. And that would be true for people we don't know and also people we do know. What the leper needed most at that moment was physical healing. And Jesus, in all his compassion, physically healed him. He cleansed him on the outside. Does that mean the leper had no sin on the inside? No, because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus met the man at his point of need at that moment. But with the paralyzed man, Maybe Jesus could see that what he needed more than the paralysis to go was a change of heart. He needed to have his heart challenged and forgiven, cleaning him on the inside and not just the outside. So these passages, they're not primarily about healing. It's not primarily a discussion point around the relationship between sin and sickness. It's about the authority that Jesus has to redeem us, to cleanse us on the inside as well as on the outside. It's about seeing Jesus meeting the people where they are at, seeing their hearts and meeting their greatest point of need. So finally, 
when, when we pray for our friends and our family and our neighbors and our colleagues and when we're engaging with them, seeking to be more like Jesus, I want to be able to have the wisdom and the discernment to know what it is they need and to hold those two truths in tension, the compassion and the grace, but also the challenge and the forgiveness that is needed, the necessity of dealing with sin. You see, the world judged them, the leper and the paralyzed man. I don't want to be someone who just judges from the outside, but I want the Holy Spirit to fill me more so that I can see what is going on on the inside. To the leper, he heals the outside. To the paralyzed man, he goes straight for the heart and the problem of sin. In other passages of scripture, we see him talking to a rich young ruler, and for him, he says, go and sell everything you have. Why? Because Jesus sees that in his heart, he's putting his faith and his trust in wealth. But we also know that there's a very rich woman who is a follower of Jesus, and Jesus doesn't tell her to sell anything. Jesus knows what's going on on the inside. We can be fooled what's going on by just looking at the outside. But with the wisdom and discernment of the Holy Spirit, if we ask him, we can see what's going on on the inside. So my prayer really is to know when to speak, what to speak, to see past what I can see on the outside with love and compassion, not to judge, but to have the discernment and wisdom to know when to challenge as well as just when to um, deal with the presenting problem. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that this passage challenges us as we people watch to look beyond what we can see, to see in every human being someone who is beautiful, created in your image and precious to you. Help us to see the real person with love and compassion. But also, Lord, I pray that you would give us courage to challenge those things on the inside that need to be challenged. Give us the wisdom, Lord, and the grace to hold those two things in tension as we go into this week. In Jesus' name, amen.